the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, an editor and writer for Entertainment Earth News, and with me, as always... I'm Hai Shen Bui, a USA Today contributor and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Today, we're going to be talking about conventions, uh, specifically sci-fi, geek, comic-con conventions. Um, it is June, and the start of Comic-Con season. Uh, all the actors, actresses from cult TV shows and movies start doing the rounds, showing up at various conventions across the country. Um, Willoughby and I actually just went to one in D.C. Uh, yesterday called AwesomeCon. Um, of course, there's the big one that we all know and love, San Diego Comic-Con. That's the one that's basically known as Comic-Con. But there are so many different ones across the country and locally that are really fun and like actually a lot less stressful than going to the big Hollywood saturated one that at at San Diego. Yeah, love is sometimes too strong a word for San Diego Comic Con. <laughs> um, but we're gonna start off by talking about our personal experiences at cons, um, which is the shorthand for con- for conventions, um, and just uh, head off from there into kind of the history of cons what they mean today, what their sway is today in Hollywood. They've become much more, much different than they were when they first emerged back in, like, I think the 60s or 70s. So, um, Anya, why don't you start us off? So, my history with conventions uh, starts before I was born. What? What? I don't know. I feel like I told you this, but maybe I haven't. Um, so, my parents met, yes, Willoughby's nodding his head, so I know he knows this. My parents met at a Star Trek convention in costume. Oh. So that's how they first met, you know, and got to know each other and everything. Uh, so love of fandom and movies and television show has been with me uh, from day zero. It's in your DNA. <laughs> it is. Um, and so I started going to conventions um, in middle school um, during my kind of anime phase. So I went to a lot of the anime conventions. Yes. During middle school, especially, you know, like Anime Expo, Anime Los Angeles. Um, I went to one in Vegas before. Um, I haven't been to an anime convention in a really long time. Um, but I've been to a lot of conventions in my life. I've been to Comic-Con twice. Um, I've been to D23 twice, which is probably my favorite convention mm. of all time. And I will bring that up later, I'm sure. Um, and I've been to a Star Trek convention. I've been to a Doctor Who convention. Um, so, yeah, I've been to a lot of conventions i feel like i know the terrain pretty well all right well that's really cool that you have such like a long history with conventions i i think i i heard you tell tell us that before but i think that's like you have a closer connection to to like the whole it's my fun about me always (laughs) it's a good icebreaker i think that's how you like became friends with us (laughs) or like one of the first things you talked about I think we talked about Star Trek, and then you said that your parents met at a Star Trek convention. Oh, well, I think that's just you two, because we'll, uh, Anya and I just talked about, like, Game of Thrones and Once Upon a Time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we have, like, separate little icebreakers. Yeah. <laughs> They're all good. <laughs> um, so my convention experience also is rooted in anime. Uh, I first went to my first anime convention back in oh, middle school. I can't remember the exact year. That would have been, like... 2004, 2003, um, I went to Anime USA, that's in Baltimore, I think, um, and I went to a couple conventions after that, again, like, 
Anime USA the next year, I think, and then another one that was in um, Virginia. Uh, but yeah, I was really into anime, as some of you listeners, uh, dear <laughs> listeners, have heard. Um, and that was kind of like my first experience with cons. Um, it was just like, it's kind of mind-blowing when you first go in because there's so many people dressed up in all your favorite characters. I barely could blink because I was just like looking at everyone and trying to like take pictures and everything and just like, yeah. well, I know that character, I know that character. It was really fun. And again, I haven't been to an anime con in forever because um, I stopped watching anime in like 2011. So like, I think my last year going to a con, the anime convention was in 2011. And um, that was the year that the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya was really big. And just like there are tons of Deadpools at every convention now everyone was dressed up as Haruhi Suzumiya. It was kind of like one of those viral animes that was like a little bit absurd and kind of almost dazed in its humor. Um, Interesting. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's it's kind of a strange one. It's like about, I'm going to go into a little bit about Haruhi Suzumiya, but it's about like this um, schoolboy in high school who like meets this like really quirky and eccentric girl, like basically like the epitome of the MPDG. Um, and except it turns out that she has, like, godlike powers and can control, like, the universe, but she doesn't know it. So she, like, starts wishing for, like, aliens and, like, ESP people and stuff to exist, and they actually start existing around her and, you know, starting to congregate towards her because, like, you know, because she can control the universe and stuff and, like, trying to figure out how they can control her. Um, but the thing is, like, it's told, the story itself is told very much in, like, the style of just a regular everyday high school anime so like they just go to baseball games and go on like scavenger hunts but like also there's like this underpinnings of oh aliens also exist it's really fun and it's also told out of order too so like the air the episodes out of order intentionally and like there's also one stretch of episodes where they basically have this they're like stuck in a time loop but they don't tell you that it is they just like air the same episode the week, the week after and the week after with like tiny little dis- differences and it becomes it's oh just gosh. like it was just like I was like I don't know what's happening but like I needed to watch the next one because I saw like little differences like when is this going to end and it was like it was called The Endless Eight and it happened for eight episodes and you're just like what? It was it's a like, weird anime but anyways oh it, it became viral because of like the dance um, and like the ending themes ending credits of the uh, the show became like super popular. People started covering it and stuff. So everyone that year was dressed as Haruhi Suzumiya. So yeah, that's my anime convention experience. Um, oh yeah, I also ended up going to Awesome Con, uh, which is kind of like the DC version of Comic Con um, this year, and then like the year that it first opened about four years ago. And uh, it's interesting how much it's grown since then. It's really cool. So, Willoughby, yes. what is your convention experience? Um, yesterday at AwesomeCon. That was it. Uh, <laughs> I've never been to a con before in my life. Um, Connecticut has a co- Comic-Con, but I never went until... Or no, I never went, and I didn't know about it until after I went to college. So, like, um, I never had a chance to go. Um, and then I, I've had friends who've gone to New York Comic-Con, but I never went. Um, so, I, I, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I, if I was, you know, gonna go, you know, definitely spend money and definitely, like, plan it out. So, AwesomeCon is the best version of that because it's right here in D.C. So, um, last year I didn't I didn't get to go um, because I didn't get tickets in time, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't remember why I didn't go. Um, maybe I didn't have enough money. Uh, but now I do. Um, and so I went this year, and we all, a bunch of us, including HT, went to... 
awesome con yesterday, and it was a lot of fun, and uh, it was a great time. Uh, I met four different celebrities, which was really cool. Who did you meet, Willoughby? So, <laughs> I met... Um, we got photos taken with Elizabeth Hensridge, who is uh, Gemma Simmons on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She's really cool. Um, then we got photos with Matthew Lewis, <gasps> a.k.a. Neville Longbottom. Amazing. We had, to, we had to retake our photo because, like, something wrong happened with yeah, the first there, time. Yeah, there was a take two. I got to touch him twice. That's <laughs> <laughs> really funny. Um, so we did, and then there was also a Matthew Lewis Q&A, which we had gone to, but then we had to duck out, ironically, to get the Elizabeth Henstridge um, photo op taken. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then at 3.30 of the day, we went to the Will Friedle, um uh, photo so cool. who is for those of you who may not know he's Eric Matthews on Boy Meets World um, and now Girl Meets World he's back there oh. um, and then also he's the voice of Terry McGinnis aka Batman Beyond and also when it comes to voices he's Ron Stoppable in Kim Possible yes. he's also an, like he's a very like good voice actor he does a lot of stuff I think he's Bumblebee in one of the Transformers shows like he's just he's really um like prolific when it comes to modern voice acting, so he was there. He was re- he was really he was like the coolest of the people we met because he like shook our hands. He said hi, how's it going? The other guys, I mean, they, they had so many people running through them so that they couldn't even like stop and say hi. Although Elizabeth Henstridge did comment on my sweatshirt, she liked it. It was my cap my Captain America. Yay! Uh, and then we also in between Matthew Lewis and uh, Will Friedle, we actually met Georgina Haig from uh, Once Upon a Time and Fringe. Fringe. Yeah, it was really cool. We didn't go for her for a photo op, but she was doing, like, autograph signings, and we saw that her line was really short. So we just basically went up to the, her and chatted for, like, ten minutes. And instead of an autograph, so we actually cool. we took photos. We took uh, we spent money for a quote-unquote selfie, which yeah. it was going to be an actual selfie with, like, me holding the camera, but we couldn't get everyone in. So uh, her PR PRD. handler just, like, went around and took HT's uh, camera and just took a picture of all of us. Yeah. So it was it's really fun. Show. She was really chill. We yeah. talked to her about, like... Um, her Australian accent. Australian accent, which we were all like a, a little bit surprised by, because I guess I think I knew she was Australian, but I forgot. So we were, I was just like, and then I started talking to her about like Anna Torv because she's also Australian, and I was like, oh, did you bond over your Australianness? Yeah, and she was like, hey, yes, and John Noble too, <laughs> and then um, Josh HD's coworker brought up uh, Emily DeRaffin from uh, Once Upon a Time because yes. she's also Australian. So it's really funny that we just had a ten minute conversation about like Australians like bonding on set. Yeah, apparently they sang an Australian commercial jingle together or something like that. And That's adorable. And uh, Joshua, Jackson. Joshua Jackson didn't realize it. Or he didn't know what was going on. He's like, what is happening? <laughs> fun facts. Yeah, so it was really fun. I, and then I bought a bunch of bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really cool. There's a ton of vendors of art, comics, and toys. So Yeah, the vendors are really great. Yeah, so I got a bunch of Ravenclaw stuff um, because... They're very few and far between online to buy. So I bought a scarf and a hat, actually two hats. And then I got a Rebel backpack, and I got three really cool pieces of art. Um, yeah, your art that you got was really cool. Yeah, I really love the Peggy Carter one. The yeah. merch is, like, some of the best part of cons, honestly. Like, I could even just skip panels and just stay all day in the exhibit halls and just, like, buy merch. Honestly. Yeah. And there was actually um, the local CW uh, affiliate was there, and they had big, like, uh Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl stuff. There was a big, like, um, a big van SUV with, like, the Flash logo on it that you could get your picture taken with. Um, and then there was also a cardboard cutout of Barry Allen. And then there was a big photo, like, um, backdrop of all the superheroes. So 
we actually got our photo taken, and they said it's online, so that's something to look at. Yeah, on their website. Yeah. Um, and we actually saw, speaking of The Flash, there was a really cool Barry Allen uh, from, like, he had, he had, like, he was dressed up as The Flash, and it was, like, a really, like, weird costume because it was so accurate that we thought it was The Flash. Oh, my gosh. From far away, he was, like, in Ver- Mount Vernon Square Park, and we were like, is that The Flash? He has the same body type as Grant Gustin, too, so it was, like, it was very eerie. Yeah, he saw the yeah. opportunity and took it. Yep. Cosplayers are incredible at cons. That's yeah. another thing, is I saw so many elaborate cosplay. I was impressed to, like, so much. People are so crafty and, and talented. I honestly, like, they spend hours on those things. Like, oh, I've yeah, days. Seen, yeah, days, even. Yeah, hours, days, weeks, months, yeah, even. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, and, like, it's expensive. And it's an expensive hobby. Sometimes, some people just do it full-time, too, because, like, Mm-hmm. Even some of our guests were, like, full-time cosplayers who were really famous. Yeah. Yep. It's true. So we have three different experiences with cons. One whose um, <laughs> history stretches back really far with cons with Anya, me, who's been to a couple of, like, anime cons, Willby's first time at conventions. Um, so, yeah, uh, cons have, like, stretched back for decades, even. Um, I'd say, like, when would you say, like, the origin of cons would be? I'd say Star Trek um, in the 60s and 70s, when um, after the show had aired, they had started doing Star Trek conventions, um, and it really became, like, a real, like, that's how the show got to reruns, and the fandom exploded. Like, Star Trek is really, like, kind of the grandfather of all fandoms, when it, or at least modern day, like, I'd say after 1950, when it comes to, like, um, fandom and cons and all that kind of stuff like you could always you could kind of trace a lot of a lot of modern stuff back to star trek like you got your slash fiction you've got your like conventions you've got you know bringing shows back from the dead the whole you know the whole shebang of modern fandom really can become can go back to star trek i agree and i would know i have personal experience with that (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um i'd say cons when they first started with star trek were very fan driven they weren't like hosted by the show or like the actual actors or showrunners or anything like that they were basically fans being like we want a place to congregate and show how much we love this particular show or content that we um, consume mm-hmm. um, but I think that since then conventions have really uh, changed and kind of evolved uh, some people would say for the better some for the worse um, a lot of it has to do with how superhero movies have become so Um, big in Hollywood that's like a given but basically in the past I think 10 years we've started to see Hollywood essentially take over a comic con that's like the big place where you can see Hollywood actors Hollywood panels um, for like the big next big movie Um, they always release like an exclusive trailer yeah that you can't see online or something like that and comic con has always been like since it's been driven by the fans there's kind of this sort of divide between like oh should it be, be just for the fans who are there or should it be, like, distributed to the rest of the masses? But then, like, because conventions are so expensive, it feels a little bit elitist sometimes. Um, Especially but, now with the internet. and Like, before the internet, if they had released a trailer to the fans, like, you, you couldn't get that unless someone, like, distributed, like, a disc of, of like, a bootleg version of mm-hmm. it. Whereas now, people can um, record bootlegs with their cameras on, uh, you know, sneakily, and they'll post it online. It'll be taken down pretty quickly, but people you know, can rip it, um, download it and share it again. So it's like the, there's this weird thing of why, you know, a lot of people say, well, why don't we just leave it exclusively for fans or why don't, why don't we leave it? Why don't we, like, I know that, um, Star Wars and 
Warner Brothers, they released um, Comic Con trailers at the at the at the panel and then released them online like immediately like they had queued it up on YouTube. So no, actually only Lucasfilm did. Oh I thought mm. there was the Batman vs Superman trailer. It went up later but like Oh not again. Fox and Warner Brothers both had they had that big drama last year at Comic Con, which is ridiculous because Fo- Warner Brothers got mad about Suicide Squad as well. Right. Um and Fox got mad about, like, X-Men and stuff. Um, but, like, Lucasfilm at every convention last year, Star Wars Celebration, uh, Comic-Con, D23, they released any footage they showed there immediately afterwards, officially right. online. Yeah. And Fox and Warner Brothers didn't, at least not, like... Like, Warner Brothers, yeah. was, Warner Brothers was pressured into doing it. Like, they yeah. had to. Warner Brothers, I remember, was pressured into it. Um, which is so... I think that's so wrong, because... I wrote an article about this, actually, about, like, why I disagree with it, and that's, you know, like... Just because you release it online doesn't take away the exclusivity of the fans who are there. Right. Like, watching it online on your laptop is not the same as being in that really, like, energized, fully packed room with like-minded fans and the cast and crew, like, showing you this footage. It's not the same. And by releasing it for the public, you're not taking that away from them. Right. And so I don't, I think that every studio should release it officially. Because, like, it's going to get recorded even if it's not supposed to be. Yeah, it doesn't make sense why, In I mean, in this day and age, they just don't release it online. Yeah, I think it's rooted in, like, how cons originally started and that they were for the most hardcore fans, and they would get, like, that exclusive first look because they made the effort to go out there. But now it's just because, like, ho- I, because, like, the cons are so Hollywoodized now, and they're just basically there to make big premieres or big trailer premieres or announcements, that it becomes a little bit redundant. Like, why... Why do you need to do that? Like, like now, concerts are different than how they used to be. Yeah, because Marvel didn't. Marvel didn't even go last year. Mm-hmm. They didn't really. Marvel went. Marvel went, but, but, the, but the movies didn't show any uh, trailers or no panels. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really interesting how you see these larger studios pick and choose which cons they go to. Yeah. And Marvel has now started doing their own press, like, like theater fan, not fan, but, like, press releases of, of, like, their next slate of movies or their next trailer, or they always try and, like, release a trailer on Good Morning America or Jimmy Kimmel, so it's, like, they're, it's almost like they're starting to avoid the Comic-Con stuff. Yeah, it might have been that, um, Comic-Con, it, like, we reached peak Hollywood at Comic-Con, like, I think maybe two, three years ago, and now... Disney especially, um, who owns Marvel and Star Wars, they're starting to move away, and they have that, like Anya said, that their own event, D23, which is held, I think, like, the same week, or, like, the week after? No, no, ooh, all right, you're touching on one of my favorite topics. Okay, Um, Anya, please tell us. I'm very excited about this. Okay, because I love D23. Um, It's the best convention I've ever been to. It's so well-organized. I'm so exciting. I mean, it's exciting if you're a Disney fan, which I am. Um, And I actually prefer going to D23 over Comic-Con, like, any time. So D23, the convention held um, biannually. It started in 2009, and so they've only had, I think, like, four events, because 2009, 11, 13, and 15. So there's not one one this year. There's not one this year. Okay. Um, And so they have, it's like a big convention that they have... um, and they normally hold the 23 in August, which is enough time away from Comic-Con. Um, Marvel, like we'll be saying, had their own press conference in 20 October, I believe, of 2014. Yeah. And then they skipped out on Comic-Con last year, but went to D23 
that was where people saw the first footage of Doctor Strange and mm-hmm. Civil War. Yeah. Um, so it was huge. Um, and then next year, the really curious thing is that D23 announced their dates, and they're pretty much in Comic-Con spot. Like, they're in Comic-Con spot in July. Like, late July. Uh... And someone... Comic-Con has not announced their dates for next year, but someone checked out the San Diego Convention website, and they found, like, there's something... There's, like, a big event booked Uh for a weekend next year, and it's, like, the weekend either right before or after D23. Oh, wow. So they're literally going to be back-to-back. But they're not... It's not the same... It's, like, a different... Different... Place. It is. It's Anna, um, D23 is in Anaheim, but I actually wrote an article about this, about what this could mean, because conventions are not cheap. Right. You have to pay for, and you have to pay for food, your tickets, your hotels. Um, they're also exhausting. They are. You go several days in a row, like, you don't get much sleep. Because, um, like, either you have to camp out for panels, or you're just up late, and you're just running around, and you're not eating very well, and you're dehydrated. Like, conventions are exhausting. And so I'm very curious about D23 next year, because whether or not it will split some fans, if they can only go to one convention, which one they'll go to. Um, whether or not Marvel, Disney, Lucasfilm will even be at Comic-Con next year, right. or if it's all be at D23. That'll be so I'm very curious about how this is going. I mean, Hollywood's clearly realizing that conventions are an important space for them. Yeah. And it's interesting to see them navigate it. So, I'm really curious about next year. Um, I'm on record to say if I had to choose, I would go to D23 by far. Yeah. I think 23 is so much more fun. It's so much more accessible than Comic-Con. I heard Comic-Con is, like, very overcrowded and badly organized now, too, because they don't know how to balance, like, the movie studios and their, like, regular geek and comic panels anymore because they're yeah. just like they never really handled that tr- transition very well between like the holidayization and just like regular fan con- conventions i heard at san diego there was a line for the line to get into hall h jesus yeah it's ridiculous. and it's impossible to get tickets yeah mm-hmm. it's a whole lot of them yeah and you have to wake up at like in the morning and just sit in your waiting room and hope you can get tickets it's like you can just wait for the panels to get online later mm-hmm. and even for journalists who cover it I um, follow them a lot on Twitter, and like, there's always like this big, uh, like, battle royale for getting hotel rooms. Essentially, at the same time, oh, yeah. Like, I always see them on Twitter being like, "Oh, time to book for Comic Con, <laughs> batten down the hatches." <laughs> <laughs> so they, even though like they get press passes and stuff, they still like the hotel situation is horrible and it's like badly organized and, t- and like just way too oversaturated and stuff. Yeah. Also, I gotta say, um, on that note, as the three of us being like journalists of some sort, D twenty three treats journalists much better. Interesting. Okay. Like they're they're very accessible to journalists, and like you can pretty much get into any panel you want, front row, like press seating, and they're super accommodating about it. So that's cool. Okay. Are they smaller? Like, um, like in terms of like the panels themselves? Like, are there they're they're smaller audiences for D23? Um, well, no, so they have their big, like, they have a huge stage that's pretty much their Hall H. Yeah. Mm. It's massive. It is humongous. It's like a giant amphitheater. Um, and so they can fit tons of people in there. It's like their Hall H. And then they have, similar to Comic-Con, like a Ballroom 20, like a smaller panel rooms um, that fit a lot of people, but still less. Um it's, I mean, it's pretty much very similar to Comic-Con. It's just better organized, mm. and I think they have 
more interesting and fun panels. Um, less panels than Comic-Con does. It's less days. I think it's three days as opposed to four. And, of course, they only have Disney to worry about. Comic-Con can pretty much accommodate anyone. Yeah. Now, when it comes to D23, like, at other conventions, there are, like, vendors and exhibitors where you can, like, purchase art or purchase, like, stuff. Like, is D23 just panels, or is it more than that? D23 also has an uh, exhibition hall, which is incredible. Um, They have a lot of different types of stuff. You can, like, there's, like, interactive stuff. There's usually an entire section based on Disney parks um, and what's coming at upcoming, like, Disney parks, Disneyland, or Disney World. Last year, um, there was a big old thing on Shanghai Disney, uh, because that's opening. Um, and then they have their artist alley and their vendors, and you can buy lots of stuff, and it's super great. And they usually have like a Disney Archives exhibit that you can walk through, um, which is really cool. cool. I just I can't say enough good things about D twenty three. I love it. It's a great convention. And because all these big, like the big three, essentially movie um, magnets, uh, like Disney, Star Wars. Marvel are moving over to to D23, it's leaving more room at Comic-Con for TV shows, essentially, and other movies like Warner Bros. and uh, Fox and stuff. They get their time to shine, finally. (laughs) So maybe it's a good compartmentalization of all the big ones, so they're not competing for a big spot at Hall H. Yeah, no, I agree. I just think the timing is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like... It should be spaced out more. It's kind of like when Marvel had uh, the Civil War date. And then, mm-hmm. and then they had DC move <laughs> to March. Yeah. Um, so, what do you guys think about uh, cons essentially becoming, or like Hollywood essentially taking over comic cons and movie industry and TV industry basically taking it over? And do you think it's like taking it away from fans, or do you think it's just kind of like better for fans in general because they get closer access to these kind of things? I'm kind of of two minds because. One, I really like seeing, like, watching panels on, like, YouTube and, and like, the, like, seeing the celebrities, like, talk about their work and talk about their life. And I also like seeing, like, the cool content that they produce. But at the same time, when it comes to, like, the little guy, the little fan who has to, like, try and traverse these huge comic spaces and it's, like, really, like, overcrowded and high prices, like, that's kind of a weird, like, dichotomy of, of like the the big Hollywood culture versus like the fan culture, and I feel like Hollywood culture tries to be fan culture, but you can kind of tell that it's just a little bit too um, corporatized. What do you think, Anya? I'm similar to Olivia, and I'm of two minds. Um, mm-hmm. I think Hollywood is genius for jumping on it. I mean, if I were certainly heading up a studio, I'd want to get in on that. Um, as someone who loves movies and television primarily, like, I love comics, but they're not my big passion. Mm. I love it because the panels are what I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, so I want to find out more about these things that I love and the opportunity to meet my favorite people. So I'm really excited about that because I'm a little biased. Um, I don't think, I think the fans who kind of cry fan entitlement and, like, that these conventions are totally disregarding fans. I don't think that's as fair. Mm. Um, There are so many conventions around the world, um, and some of which cater more to kind of the smaller fans and stuff. Um, Just because Comic-Con has kind of turned into a Hollywood thing doesn't mean that there there aren't other options. Yeah. Um, And I think kind of crying that kind of entitlement is 
not necessarily right. Um, that being said, I think some conventions have a lot of problems with accessibility and uh, just like like what you we were saying, like saying that they're fans, but really just being for themselves. Mm. So I think it's a, a double-edged sword a bit. Um, I think Comic-Con's kind of, it is what it is now. And if you don't like that, don't go. There are other smaller conventions. Yeah, I essentially agree with you. I think that just like while the few of the big ones are becoming more overtaken by the movie industry in Hollywood, there are tons of smaller ones popping up every year. Awesome Con is a fairly new convention um, in DC, and it's still like while we have some of our Hollywood stars and everything, we still have like nice place for the comic book writer or for like just chilling at the merch merchandise hall and that kind of thing. Yeah, it was really interesting to see the layout of Awesome Con because. Once you, the, first of all, the Washington Convention Center is humongous. Like, very labyrinth. Holy cow. Um, and once you get down into the exhibitor hall, which is underneath, which is actually underground, you get um, all the vendors and, uh, with their comics, their art, and their books in one section. And then there's this massive, like, space between that and then, like, celebrity autographs and photos. So it's really split up, so that way, it, you know, you don't get so much... There's actually this this great, like, um, border zone between the two areas so you can breathe, practically, mm-hmm. and also get cell service. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we had some fun trying with that. Um, so I, I actually found that pretty interesting. I mean, it took a long time to get from one end to the other, but you had a lot of stuff to look at on either side, um, and the space in between like the celebrities and the and like the comic vendors was was a good breathing area to just kind of like get your bearings to figure out where you need to go next and like who you're going to go see you know what you're going to go buy um and it was really cool how they kind of laid out like there was actually an entire section of like uh like props from movies and they called it like the back lot like like a movie back lot um, that was where all, like, the 501st Legion was there. There's actually a Rebel Legion now. Um, there's, like, a bunch of cool... There was a bunch of cool... Um, you know, that was where the Flash and Arrow stuff was. So they've really kind of... They're kind of compartmentalizing everything into, like, different genres or, cult- or like, subsets of popular culture, like TV and movies. Um, so I really like that layout, and I think that that was a smart move to kind of break things up instead of having everything be, like, one massive area. Yeah, I have an interesting... I have a divisive, yeah, perception of conventions. Um, while I think that it's great that they uh, give this sort of access to both movie studios and, like, basically the content and TV shows and movies that people love, I do think that it sometimes breeds a sense of uh, fan entitlement, like you said, because of, like, the uh, inaccessibility that some of them have. So, it's interesting. I mean, that that's also can be applied to fandom in general. Um, but, yeah, it's... I don't know if, like, movies have... Like, the movie industry has kind of, like, accelerated this sort of sense of fan entitlement as well. But I, I will say um, conventions, panels, um, one of the worst things is just secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, from fans. Um, I love fans. I'm a fan. Uh, but sometimes... There's just secondhand embarrassment. Like, I remember the year I went, my first year at Comic-Con was 2010. 
it was the year the um, Avengers first assembled, um, like, all together. What a great um, year to go. It was a great year. It was also Harrison Ford's first year. It was, like, it was, it was, like, it was, it was, it was Chuck's last year, and I went to the Chuck panel, and, like, so it was a really great year. That's an amazing um, year, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm very happy. My my Comic Con experience as a guest, my first time was really great, and now I'm kind of like I can never top that. Um, and also, I'm kind of over the exhaustion and mm-hmm. getting wristbands to get into Hall H and all that stuff. But like, I remember that year with the Avengers that there there was a Q and A part, and one of the fans went up there and just yelled Edward Norton's name. Oh, I remember that. After they had announced Mark Ruffalo, and I was kind of like. Okay, I was like, first off, I was like secondhand embarrassment, but I was also like, dude, that's not cool. Also, now you love Mark Ruffalo, yeah. So, like, take that. But I just, I don't know. There's sometimes with that access to the creative, like sometimes it's really good and it creates some really great dialogue. And as long as people are respectful, mm-hmm. but it's you know the ones who can break that barrier, or something. Yeah, and it's like overstep. Like, ask a question that they shouldn't ask. That reminds me of this one time at AU where Edward Norton was here speaking about um, his new film. And it was, like, a big Q&A with, like, a bunch of AU students. And uh, the first question that was asked was some guy who was asked, um, what do you think about Mark Ruffalo taking over from the Hulk or something? Yeah, it was, like, November 2010. So it had just been announced. Just right after. And it was really awkward because Edward Norton's, like, he like kind of looked at his like the question per like the person like leading the disc- the questions, and he was just like, "Really, this is the question?" Because like they weren't pr- they weren't screened or anything. Yeah. But they we were told not to ask him about that. Yeah. Which and that guy straight up went ahead and did it anyway. So there's, it's there's there is that weird like there's no longer a barrier, and you can kind of you can feel like you can ask them anything, but and you think that they'd be cool with it. But I mean, that was probably like a sensitive thing. Topic, yeah. That you know that. Edward Norton had to deal with and yeah. like you know fans can be really rabid especially when it comes to casting decisions mm-hmm. um, and like Edward Norton wasn't a bad Bruce Banner or a bad Hulk like it, the movie wasn't awful so like the fact that he, he at the time when he was being replaced by Mark Ruffalo a lot of people were really mad about that mm-hmm. um, and he probably I don't I honestly don't know what he felt about it but that that just that's I mean he wasn't he wasn't there to talk about Marvel he was not there to talk about superhero movies he was there to talk about his new film mm. so it's yeah, really it's, uncomfortable it's, that he like this guy asked, asked this question and he had to somehow answer that it's vaguely and like yeah i think he just kind of brushed it off he was like oh i think we've heard an all we've all heard enough about that yeah i think he did yeah. like that which is I mean, that's why i felt really bad when i went because like mark ruffler was there yeah and, like, this person yelling out Edward Norton's name and, like, why Marvel recast him. And, like, Mark Ruffalo's there and he hasn't had a chance to prove himself yet. And, like, we're just showing, like, straight up disrespect to him. Yeah. Luckily, Mark Ruffalo is a chill guy, so. I'm sure so chill. Now, like I said, we all love him as Bruce, so. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Water under the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Um, conventions are, they have their pluses, they have their, they have their negatives, they have their cons and and uh, yeah, I did it. Um, get it. But um, I think overall, probably they are good for they're they're good for the fans, despite you know becoming more corporatized and more overtaken by Hollywood. That access that it allows fans to like the the shows and the movies that they love 
really is just positive in general. And um, though it does breed like some poisonous um, attitudes in fans, I think that was inevitable anyways, considering like how like, you know, Twitter, social media, everything is becoming more close to the creators and the the actors than it was before. So fan conventions are just a part of that. Yeah. I think. And they were kind of the they were like the forerunner to like Twitter social media where mm-hmm. you can talk to people, mm-hmm. talk to celebrities and content creators first. Um, so I mean like I I had fun like getting my photos taken and meeting celebrities that and it was really fun to like ask Georgina Haig a lot of like cool questions that you otherwise wouldn't get to ask because I don't think she would have been a part about there wasn't like a once upon a time panel um, at at AwesomeCon but she was there so it was really cool to ask her like kind of like cool neat behind the scenes questions like especially about like her being Australian and like hanging out with other Australians mm-hmm. so it was like that was cool that was something that was that was an exclusive like you're yeah. not going to hear about that mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, my best time at Comic-Con last year was uh, the morning uh, before the convention had even opened, and I was in my hotel, and I got up to go out of the cafe and, like, get breakfast, and once upon a time, Cast was staying in the hotel, the same hotel as me, and they were all, like, it was all time for them to come down and, like, get ready for the convention, so, like, I saw tons of them and met a few, and, like, that was the best part of the entire convention for me. Didn't you meet the creator? Yeah, yeah, I met Adam Horowitz and uh, Eddie Kitsis. That's pretty cool. I also met Lana Priya uh-huh. and Sean McGuire. Wow. Um, and I saw Emily Durovin. I saw Colin O'Donohue, but I didn't uh, get to meet either of them. I waited a long time to try and meet Jennifer Morrison, and she didn't come down, and I had to get to work. Oh, no. She's your fave. Oh, I know. I was, like, I was like, oh, my God, it was so bad. My boss had called me and was like, where are you? And I was I like, oh, I'm, I got held up. I, uh, what? <laughs> eventually, like, it got pretty late and I really had to get to work and oh. so I had to go without meeting her but <laughs> it was still really fun to like meet them and they were just so nice and I think you know any space is going to have the negativity mm-hmm. like anything convention social media anything but I usually say that the positive far outweighs the negative when it comes to like conventions and things like fan entitlement and fan demands and like harassment is a problem but I often think that at the end of the day dialogue it's still important and worth it. Yeah, I saw a lot of, like, when you say harassment, like, I saw a lot of um, people asking permission to take photos, which was really cool, because there there's been a huge problem like that in recent con years. Yeah. There's more awareness of it now, too. Like, I saw, like, at, at the Awesome Con again, there were signs everywhere, like, at every 50 feet being like, if you feel like you're being harassed, uh, let us know, and that kind of stuff. So I think people are working against it, like, to check that kind of, fan, poisonous fan attitude, so. Yeah. And it's not even, like, celebrities. Um, a lot of the anti-harassment signs are often more concerned with cosplayers. They are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what it's yeah about, because yeah. it's, yeah, because it's, you know, it's, like, people dressed up, and it's, like, either you forcefully taking photos of them, or you touching them without permission. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes, um, it's usually women who get harassed, um, and it's usually if they are cosplaying as a character who has less clothing um even though like they are practicing an art form and like they're dressing up and they have worked really hard on this costume and you should just appreciate that people take it the wrong way and it's very unfortunate because that is not permission that is not what that means yeah your outfit is not permission exactly um so do you guys have anything else you want to add about conventions cons it was a really fun time to go to Awesome Con. Um, I definitely recommend people who are in the D.C. area to go. 
um, maybe next, like next year. Um, do you want to go? Sorry. Do you want to go again? I do. I'd like to go. I mean, I'd like to see if they're like um, more celebrities. I really liked it. I, that was fun taking photos with them because yes. it was it was like you get you get to talk with your friends in line and then you get to go up there and get to say hi to the celebrity like once and then you get your photo. Like I, I actually. Um, HT's coworker accidentally got a second photo of the Elizabeth Henstridge photo shoot. Like he thought he only had purchased one um, printout, but he actually he got two. So I got the second one. Nice. So I have that one, and then I also have Will Friedle, which I paid for. Um, so like I have these really cool like mementos, and it was really fun. So yeah, I would definitely recommend going to uh, at least to like a, a good con at least once. I think that both of you guys should come out to California next year and come to D23. I actually would love that. That would be cool. It's really funny because I've been twice, and the first year I went was 2013. 11. 13. One of the two. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Um, and it was actually, for all I said about D23, my first year I went was kind of awful. Um, it was really unorganized, and they had a really big, in, uh, like, accessibility problem. Mm. Um, and I think they definitely learned from that, because by the time I went in 2015, it was by far the best convention experience I had had. And they were way more organized, way more accessible, just all around a great experience. So, like, I really like that, because they definitely learned That's from cool. their years operating, and I think it's only going to get better. Yeah, and HC, you went to AwesomeCon the first time. And that, yeah. was in a, that was in, like, that was in the convention center, but it was... In, in a different room, it right? It was basically in relegation base to one... The exhibit hall was one of, like, the smaller rooms at the front of the convention center. And now, like, the like this year, they have moved it to, like, this giant warehouse, essentially, at the bo- at the, in, like, the basement. And it's just amazing how much it's grown in just four short years. Um, and, yeah. I, and I heard that it's gotten a lot better in terms of cash and credit. Mm. Like, I heard that a couple of years ago, maybe not the first year, but, like, the second or third... Um, every vendor was only accepting cash, mm-hmm. so everyone was that felt like the ATMs were like out the door, mm-hmm. and then you couldn't actually purchase any. Uh, you purchase your badge online, so you actually everyone bought their ticket at the door, and they had sold out, mm-hmm. but they didn't realize how many how much they were selling. So I, this was a really good. This was well organized mm-hmm. this year, and this, from what I can tell, they have def- and from the stories that I've heard, that AwesomeCon is just getting better. Yeah. Everything is becoming more streamlined. Yeah. I feel like before we finish our discussion, we would be remiss not to mention DashCon. Oh, yes. <laughs> I forgot. We have to mention DashCon. We Dash have to Con. mention Dash <laughs> And we're all Tumblr users. Sorry. Yeah, and we're all, t- we're all Tumblr users, so... Yes. So, for those of you who may not know, DashCon was this really interesting experiment two years ago where it was... There's this... For years on Tumblr, everyone was always talking about a Tumblr convention, you know, basically like fandoms, but somehow only like Tumblr versions of it. Um, And I guess there were a a group of people who actually put on, who rented a space, and I don't even, I don't know where it was, but they rented a a, a convention center exhibit hall somewhere in the country, and it was, they called it DashCon because everyone talks about the Tumblr dashboard, which is basically like a news feed. Um, but they said DashCon, and <laughs> it was a disaster, according mm-hmm. to people who went. And uh, it was it was really, there was a lot of weird schadenfreude watching it, like, unfold yes. on Tumblr. There was, um, there's the infamous ball pit. 
uh, in the middle. Like, there's this infamous, infamous picture of the ball pit in the middle of this giant, like, warehouse hangar convention area where there's nothing around it and there's this sad, half deflated um, ball pit. Like and several people, like three people sitting in it. Three people sitting in it, not like, and they just don't look like they're having fun. And that's kind of like the entire like semblance. Like, if you could sum up Dashcon one picture, it would be that picture, the ball pit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, people always are like, you know, this is it's like on you, like you said, it's or HD. It's like when fandom goes wrong, like mm-hmm. when the, when it's just not like healthy or, and it's just not fun. Because I heard just terrible stories from that place, mm-hmm. um, and I guess there was a, I guess there might have been a hoax last year of, the, of it of Dashcon happening again, or it was a big joke. But mm-hmm. um, man, that was just like <laughs> people Tumblr learned their lesson, not to do like their own thing in that way. It's just much better to leave it to the professionals. Yeah, yeah, Tumblr is the root of like a lot of that sort of fan. I guess entitlement that we were speaking of before, um, where they have like their own interpretations of movies and TV shows, which is fine, but sometimes they take it a little bit too far. Yeah, and I feel like DashCon was definitely a consequence of that. And they had they actually had the the, the Night Vale creators gonna they were gonna be there, um, but I get but they because they realized how shitty an organization the DashCon people were that they um, they. Uh, backed out and so they didn't go so like they had like dashcon was like a real thing like a, like they were getting real people to come but they apparently had a disastrous organizational skill yeah they, they were not unable to pay their gas yeah you know, pay for their hotel rooms that kind of thing so if you're gonna yes. go to a con go to one that you know is organized well yeah yes and established and yeah. yes um, <laughs> So I think that wraps up our com- our discussion on conventions. Uh, so we will move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. Um, what do you really, really like for this week? Anya, why don't you start? Unsurprisingly, I really like Disney. <laughs> I always like Disney, as if I don't talk about it enough. Um, but last night, I went to a Little Mermaid live in concert at the Hollywood Bowl. I heard about that. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, basically, it was... So they played the movie um, to a live orchestra. Ooh. Sounds amazing. During the songs, performers would come out and actually sing them. Um, and so we had Sarah Bareilles as Ariel. Uh, we had Titus Burgess as Sebastian, who was the original Sebastian on Broadway. Um, we had Norm Lewis as uh, King Triton, who was the original Triton on Broadway. Wow. We had Darren Chris as Prince Eric, yes. and we had John Stamos as Chef Lewis or Louis. Stamos. Chef Louis. Chef Louis. John Stamos was amazing. Oh, and we had Rebel Wilson as Ursula. How did I forget that? Rebel Wilson was so great. She was so funny. Didn't she dress um, up too? They were all dressed up in the, as their characters. They have. They have. They have. They have like subtle, cop like outfits that are kind of resemble the. It wasn't like, like they were all dressed up in Broadway. Yeah, like, so Rebel Wilson, she had, like, a big white wig on, um, but her dress was gorgeous. It was, like, sparkly and black, and then near the end, it, like, shimmered purple. Wow. It was really beautiful. Um, so it was so great and wonderful. Um, I had a great time. Jodie Benson came out at the end, who's the original voice of Ariel. Um, she was wonderful. And the best part for me, though, was actually the opening act, which was Alan Menken. Ooh. And he did a medley 
of like all these songs. I was I I was very surprised he did Gallivant. I saw your Snapchat. That was pretty funny. Which made me very happy. Oh. Um, but he also did like Hunchback and Tangled and Beauty and the Beast and Pocahontas. And it was just so beautiful, and it was great seeing him. I mean, he's still amazing. I mean, he's pretty much the definition of a lot of our childhoods. Yeah. So he was really cool to see. So it was just a really great night. Um, I'm grateful that I get to have these experiences out here. And I just really love Disney. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Will, Will be. What is your really like for this week? I've been re-listening to and um, the Moulin Rouge soundtrack, and I've been I watched the movie on Memorial Day. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. The soundtrack is perfect. Um, just the movie itself is so beautiful and tragic and funny. And Baz Luhrmann is a genius. Say what you will about some of his films, um, but I think Moulin Rouge is great. Uh, and I just, I've just been having a good time listening to the soundtrack again and to re-watching the movie because the movie and soundtrack, there's differences in the music and the movie is still, I'd say, better than the soundtrack, but the soundtrack is still fun. It had its anniversary recently? Yeah, it was um, 15 years. Wow. Uh, oh, my gosh. In, in uh, May, uh, earlier May. So, what? Yeah, the movie came out in 2001, so it's... Uh, it's been 15 years since that movie came out. Wow. Yeah, we're old people now. Guys. <laughs> um, it's a so, and I was I was thinking about how Bas Lerman just like he has a style and he sticks to it, and that's what I love about directors who can who know what they do well and can can like just do it. Like um, the Great Gatsby, I actually really like that movie because I think he ca- he encapsulates the parties really well mm-hmm. and then also can do the drama really well so yeah. I don't know what people talk about but I was not a big fan when I first saw it because I thought like the whole uh di- what's the word I was thinking of um it was very disconcerting for me to see like the modern music and then like oh the anachronistic yeah music? the anachronistic yeah it was like a little it was a little strange for me but I the more I watch it the more I like it and I thought it like really suits the book despite like I'm not being the biggest fan of, of Great Gatsby so, yeah, it's one of those movies that grow on you. I'm not a, the biggest fan of Baz Luhrmann's work. I think, oh, what's the movie that, uh, Australia? Australia was really bad. Um, yeah, Australia's but, not Moulin. great. Yeah, Moulin Rouge is one of my favorites as well. I think Romeo plus Juliet is oh, phenomenal. It's, it's the best uh, Romeo and Juliet movie. Far none. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to say Romeo plus Juliet, because yeah. that's what the title is. Exactly. Uh, and Paul Rudd's in it, so. That's right. I know, right? DiCaprio's in a Hawaiian shirt for most of the movie. Mm. What a great cast. (laughs) Good movie. So yeah, Moulin Rouge. Nice, HT. Alright, guys. Prepare for another um, really, really like that. Has a little bit to do with a topic that I've kind of worn out by now, but I'm not going to wear it out. Wait, can I guess? Yes. Is it Big Bang? No, actually, it's related to Big Bang, though. It is K-pop related. Okay. Okay. It's actually a personal experience for me because I found out last week. Um, we had my family and I had like a barbecue with some of our family friends I hadn't seen in like five years, and um, one of them, uh, his name is Brian. He's three years younger than me. Uh, we were kind of talking about <laughs> K-pop because my best friend Christine and I 
both were like recently into Big Bang. Like after I told her that I was into Big Bang, she got obsessed too. So now we're like both in love. And she was like, oh, I can marry Top, you can marry Judy. And like, they might not be super straight, but we'll both be rich. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, But anyways, we're talking about Big Bang and K-pop in general. And Brian's like, oh, did you know that there's there's a guy from Virginia, from Nova, Northern Virginia, who is in a K-pop band? And I was like, what? I did not know this. Um, and he's like, yeah, his name's Bobby. From the, he's from this group Icon. And I actually did know the group Icon. They're on the same label as Big Bang. They're kind of like the newbie group. Um, and surprisingly, Bobby was my favorite member from this group. He's the most talented. He's not the best looking because like, he has like really small eyes, but he has a really nice jawline. And he's just like this really great rapper. Um, I think he's the most talented in the group. Um, but I was just like, what? He's from here? Yeah, he's like, yeah, he grew up in Fairfax, which is like half an hour away from my house. And um, Brian is like friends with his best friend. And I was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, some of like my, our moms like know his mom. And I was like, oh, I was blown. I was just like, oh my gosh, now I love him even more because I know he's a Nova homeboy. And um, I was thinking like, wow, we might've run, like run in like concentric circles or something like that. Maybe not in the same circles because he's 20. So I, we are four years apart. I would have been, uh, he would have been a freshman when I was a senior, so we probably wouldn't have like ever crossed paths, which is probably why Brian crossed paths with him. But I was just like, this is, I was reeling from this information. It was, I'm just, I'm really happy. And so now Icon has a little bit more of my attention. I was kind of skeptical about them before because I thought like they only had two really talented members, which is Bobby and like the leader. And um, their music's okay. It's kind of like, it's cute. They're cute, but. This is wild. They still have to prove themselves. Um, So, Bobby, yay! If you're ever listening to this. (laughs) That's so great. Yeah, so that was a really exciting moment for me. Um, Yeah. K-pop is great. I'm starting (laughs) to, like, I have been super reluctant to get fully into it because I know what will happen when I do. I become obsessed, and it's all I'm going to, like, I'm just going to have, like, very singular music taste and I know what happened because I did that with J-pop like five years ago and I don't want that to happen again but I feel like I'm slowly getting drawn in and like so you're kind of like inching down the rabbit hole I know I am I'm becoming becoming more trash every minute (laughs) I have a question for you yes has Big Bang replaced Backstreet Boys I love them both for different reasons but Big Bang right now what a cop-out answer Big Bang right now is number one (laughs) in my heart Backstreet Boys, I love them for, like, the nostalgia that they bring to my childhood. I still, like, they still give me lots of feelings. But Big Bang, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. That's, okay, I, I accept that answer. Yeah, I can have different loves for different things, you know. I can be I mean, like, I there are, like, a million K-pop boy bands, and I feel like once I get into them, I'm going to like all of them, but for different reasons. I don't know how I'm going to spread out my love. It'll be interesting. <laughs> um so yeah that's that's my really really like for this week <laughs> i like you bobby if you're listening <laughs> all right me. guys <laughs> so if you guys have any thoughts on conventions any personal experiences you want to share uh if you have any if you guys have if you guys saw a little mermaid live in concert or have any story about alan menken if you guys really love moulin rouge or what your opinion is on boz lerman and if you guys have any, like, weird revelations or experiences with celebrities that you may have known, like H.T. did, which is wild, 
or if you just have thoughts on K-pop, definitely share them with HD. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you should come talk to us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? We have a blog, millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter at uh, Falcon Podcast. Um, you can search for us on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And you can do the same thing on Google Play, which is recently new. Um, so where can they find you guys? You guys can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. I'm at HTNBooey on Twitter. And I'm at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thank you for joining us, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.